This is Eric. This is Nat. And this is the History of Pop Culture on Geek Channel 8. What have you been up to, Nat? We've tried to watch Space Force this week. Um, we watched a few episodes. It was not The Office. Like, our expectations, I don't believe, were met. It wasn't as... They, God, they had some good moments of irony in it, but it wasn't funny like The Office was. It was just kind of, you know, heartbreaking. <laughs> I did watch some um, pop culture history um, or consume some pop culture history this week other than our topic at hand. I watched the 1958 film Daikaiju Baron, which is also known as Varon the Unbelievable, which is a black and white giant monster film, Japanese giant monster film. It was okay. You know, it was, it was a smaller Godzilla, no, uh, no atomic breath or anything like that. Just a big monster. Literally smaller or like, you know, just a, the film was smaller. <laughs> uh, both. Okay. It was, it was, so if you can, it was probably, the monster itself was probably, you know, I think about, so Godzilla varies in size in the different films. Yeah. I'm going based on, this film was from 1958, so there'd only been one Godzilla film, I think, at that point. And this monster was probably about half the size of Godzilla, still huge. You know, but instead of being like 60 feet tall, it was like, well, maybe it was about 60 feet tall, 50, 60 feet tall, but Godzilla is like bigger than that. Yeah. And instead of being from the ocean, it was from the, uh, a lake inland in Japan, although they eventually relocated out to the ocean and it comes back and destroys (laughs) Tokyo. Everybody knows that freshwater Godzillas are of smaller size. Like, that's just common knowledge. Yes, of course. (laughs) So, we are going back in time today to 1999, pre-9-11. Some other events that happened that year, uh, a major snowstorm hit Milwaukee uh, in January. Um, The impeachment of Bill Clinton in February, in March. The Supreme Court of the United States upheld the murder conviction of Timothy McVeigh for the Oklahoma City bombing. In April, uh, Bill Gates' personal fortune exceeded $100 billion. In May, Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace is released. In uh, June, George W. Bush uh, announced his candidacy for president. Uh, and uh, I don't know what month our film came out in. Let's face it. All of that seems so unimportant now. Like, like when placed next to what we're about to talk about, does any of that matter? Probably not. No. Uh, our film came out around Christmas um, of, of that year. Uh, in fact, it came out on Christmas Day, 1999. And the film was? Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. And I, I want to point out, I first saw this in the theater in Utah. I was living in Utah at the time, and my friends drugged me. I had not heard of it. I didn't, 
know anything about it, didn't care about it. It is now my favorite film, and I would argue possibly the best movie ever made. Okay. Well, um, that is your opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. You're going to, there's going to be some resistance here. I, by contrast, did not watch this film when it came out. I had a lot of reluctance to watch it at all. When we, when you brought this up as a topic, when you submitted this and said, Hey, what about this? I was so nervous. And it's not because I don't love the film. I do, but it is so hard to watch this objectively now. It is so hard to, it's like asking me to like go back and look at Star Wars or like, I have a lot of history built into this film already. So looking at it with fresh eyes, kind of difficult. I did watch it. I tried my best. I tried my best not to just list trivia and the little things I knew about it, right? Like I tried to like dig into the themes behind it and why I feel it is a good film and etc. So I've got a lot of baggage. I'm bringing into this and I'm trying to leave the baggage at the door. I guess is where I'm going with that. I also have a lot of baggage. I actually fell asleep the first time I watched it. As we established when we talked about the naked gun, I am not a big comedy fan. I like comedies, but it's very specific comedies. I'm not into the broad humor as much as most people are. But I had particular issues with this film before I had even seen it. And you got to know my baggage that goes back to childhood to understand. And I think that a lot of people who might be listening to this grew up in the age where there's always been Star Trek. They've never been alive in a time there hasn't been Star Trek, like on now, you know, either or within the last year or so, either on the big screen or on the small screen. That was not always the case. The original Star Trek, uh, what was its years? Uh, 68? Uh, 60, it was three years, 67 through 69, maybe. Um, yeah, something like that. Uh, it ended in 66 to 69. Okay. Basically it was over before I was born. However, it was recently over in my childhood. It was so recently over that it was still in reruns from its initial, you know, its initial syndication. I was a sci-fi science fiction fan, right? I was a, I grew up in the time after the moon landing, before the space shuttles, when space was still a thing. I was, it was very into like, I didn't like Westerns, you know, those were popular with a previous generation. I didn't like, I wasn't into a lot of other stuff. Science fiction was my thing you know, and every kid wanted to be an astronaut and stuff like that. And I liked Star Trek. And nowadays it seems like everybody's into Star Trek. Everybody likes Star Trek. Everybody loves Star Trek. That was not the case. That was not my experience growing up. You were an outcast if you liked Star Trek. You were truly like 
a true weirdo nerd geek and those terms get thrown around a lot and not in a pejorative way anymore but they were back then all right and trekkies in particular like they were they were low-hanging fruit you know so every so often like jay leno would go on david letterman and make fun of trekkies you know you know stuff like that and i really did not appreciate people making star trek fans the butt of jokes because a few happened to be really out there you know like with any kind of fandom but i was part of the fandom that really loved the show and you know actually petitioned to get it back on the air and eventually it did come back on fox as the next generation like i remember the anticipation of the next generation you know being huge you know although i'm still a fan of the original series first and foremost okay this is turning into a long diatribe and i and i want to revisit that some other time but yeah but please okay so in the late 90s early 2000s Trek had gone off the air again, but there was this, it was having its moment. It was like reaching, you know, critical mass and the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. And two years before this film, I think it was two years before this. Yeah. Two years before this film, the film Trekkies came out. Yeah. And those of us who are Star Trek fans would prefer to be called Trekkers, but it, it, it's another one. It was a documentary and it was about like, look at how weird these Trekkies are, you know, and all of that. And so I watched it later. It wasn't as bad as I thought, but I, much like this film, I had an immediate adverse reaction. I'm not going to watch the sit down and sit through two hours of them making fun of Star Trek fans. Yeah. Then the next year, the film Free Enterprise came out. Free Enterprise was a Star Trek comedy drama and William Shatner was actually in it. So then I was like, I am going to watch that because if, if they actually have Shatner in it, I'll watch it. And I loved it. That film to me is the best Star Trek parody ever. And it was about growing up, being that weird kid and growing up and they were pushing 30 And it wasn't just about Star Trek. It was also about sci-fi, science fiction in general. So like there's also a Logan's Run theme to the whole thing where in Logan's Run, for those who don't know, everybody over 30 is sent to, to sent away and um, to live on a farm with it, run with the other adults. Yeah. And, and in fact, I was 20, 29 and I was pushing 30 as were all the characters and they were coming to grips with, they had spent their whole teens, their whole twenties, still being fanboys, you know, and what were they doing career-wise? And many of them were pursuing careers in the arts, like in television and film, as was I. And the whole thing just fit together so well. And then they meet their hero, their captain, you know, William Shatner, who uh, turns out not to live up to their expectations of the, you know, babe magnet and all the things they expected that he would be from his character you know but he becomes their friend and it's an interesting story and i loved it still love it 
Um, is definitely film of its time because of uh, of what was going on at the time, and for me that was that was Star Trek parody to some degree at its best. I mean, it had you know, sure, green skinned um, babes and and you know all that stuff. Have you seen this film? I have not, but I mean, but I'm gonna go watch it now. Like, this sounds amazing. Yeah, so that I felt respected the fans while also uh, having fun. Also, it was not broad comedy. It was, you know, it was, it's a much more uh, refined intellectual comedy, in my opinion. So that was still in my mind when Galaxy Quest comes out. And by the time Gal- Galaxy quit, when I saw the trailers for it, and honestly, it looked like a lot of other Star Trek parodies, but not as good. I believe by this point in time, Futurama already existed, and there was Zap Brannigan, you know, and I'm like, okay, this is like, Tim Allen's just doing a, a bad Zap Brannigan, you know? I wasn't that into it. When I watched it, the first time I fell asleep, I told you about that, uh, but the after I watched it the second time, I grew to have a greater appreciation for it. And I think it's funny and I think it's decent, even good, but it is in no way to me what it is to you. And in fact, there are things about it that still push my, you're just disrespecting the fans button. The experience you've described, I think you're two one year older than me like we we grew up in the same era right like we're children of the same exact comic nerd outcast we 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 were in the same spot i've been to the conventions they put in the movie like i've been to those i've dressed up as a klingon dude like my my nerd bona fides were definitely well filled out by the time i saw this and they've only gotten thicker since this was familial this wasn't the tough kids at school yelling nerd at me. This was the other dude dressed in a Klingon outfit telling me I looked funny. This was the exact kind of like bonding, loving, lambasting that turns people into friends. And I love that. There's a scene where Tim Allen, you know, he's been abducted by aliens. He's trying to lead the initial peace talks, but everybody else shows up for their job, right? Everybody else shows up for Tech Value Electronics Superstore grand opening, and they're out in front of it announcing. But the Tech Value Electronics Superstore is this terribly muted and mundane. Like, it's heartbreaking to watch the scene, even if, even with nothing else, the still shots from it just seem... That was one of my favorite parts, actually, of the movie. (laughs) They're just deflated, but they keep going. They're pushing forward in this very adult, the bills have to be paid kind of way. But, But who's there? The kids show up again. The kids are this unifying theme to the entire thing. While everybody else is basking in ego or you name it, The kids are the common thread throughout the movie. The fans are what the film is about. Um, And and to the extent that the characters are their own fans, Tim Allen has this very built-in expectation that he, of course I'm what my character is like. Of course that's who I am. So it is him being a fan of himself and realizing the limitation of that. But it is also the unwavering 
love of the kids who just love what they're doing that saves them in the end. Right. And there's more I could get into. There's other there's other stuff I want to talk about, but really it was a love of by the fans that made the film work. I guess part of me is also not sure of who the fans are because the year before this came out, I went to a science fiction convention and I had been going to this convention on and off for years. And that year it was huge. That was the first year it went from being a few thousand people to being in the tens of thousands of people. And that's only increased. Comic-Con has blown up. I don't know when, all of that happened, but it seemed to happen right before the turn of the millennium. So right around the time this film came out. And to me, I felt like there was a lot of exploitation going on at that time of fans to, so everybody had to launch their own intellectual property and have their own series that was going ongoing and had their own, like they all wanted to copy the Star Trek fan base. And there was a lot of, you know, profiting off of the fans in a ton of different ways that was, just tons of people flocked into it just for the money. Um, and Comic-Con is still that way to this day. Um, and it's just represented a sea change in the way conventions were from a very camaraderie, like not everybody knew each other. They were still big, but everybody kind of knew everybody in a way that I feel they're large and impersonal now and that was right around the time this was happening. So that was another thing that had me left a bad taste in my mouth, you know, and Galaxy Quest sort of got lumped in there to me as a film that was being made to make money off of this newly, we just found out that fandom existed, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and this was, I mean, to be clear, this was a studio picture. Like this wasn't somebody's dream project or project of love like they read a script they found a couple things funny in it they brought it in uh harold ramus was gonna do it yeah uh he fell out of the project but yeah this this was a studio project like i don't even want to i don't want to dismiss what you're saying because it's there's a big element of truth to that right like I, i respect the idea that somebody's passion project could be this right but this wasn't that. And that's what Free Enterprise <laughs> was, right? It was an independent film made for very little money, directed by a guy named Robert Meyer Burnett. Yeah. Um, here's the other reason. One of the other reasons I want to talk about this being one of the best films ever made, if not the best film. Also, if I could submit for your approval on my side, David Mamet called this one of his four perfect films. Anyway, anyway. So, (laughs) okay. It is a story about a hero versus the world. And this has that, like this has like clearly the cast of galaxy quest is, is fighting against the, but the more compelling part of this story is them fighting with each other. It is the story inside the story of them fighting this galactic overlord who they hate. Um, it is them bickering that gives this story any weight or the reason it is interesting is because of their little egos. God, and again, God, I hate to keep coming back to this, but I miss Alan Rickman. He was so good. 
Like he was heartbreakingly good at just disgusted English actor who ended up on the schlock TV show. And now he's touring conventions. He was so angry. He was so Alan Rickman. It was my favorite thing in the world. I love him. Yeah. Well, I mean, he essentially is the stand in for Nimoy, right? Yeah. For a long time, Leonard Nimoy tried to distance himself from Trek after it. You know, his book was called I Am Not Spock. Later on, he wrote a second biography after he had come to grips with that called I Am Spock. But, yeah. well, and Will Wheaton, same thing. Like, I love Will Wheaton. Like, I, I God, I love that guy. Um, but he did, you know, he was a kid when he was on Star Trek. It makes a lot of sense that he tries to grow from that. I don't know. I, I just, you know, I, like a lot of other people, did not like the, like, 80s whiz kid being imposed on films and TV shows in a sure. bad way. And, like, you had Adric as the doctor's assistant in Doctor sure. Who, the know-it-all kid. And, and you had that on, on The Next Generation, too. And so for, for me, anyway, he was just, like, a really bad note in a symphony, you know? Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, he realizes that a lot of people, you know, shut up, Wesley is a thing for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but at the same time, are you telling me you wouldn't have done that if given the opportunity? Like, like if... If in 1986, the the people at Paramount had come to you and said, okay, look, you know, this is going to be an overdone trope and you're going to be sick of it in five years, but do you want to be on Star Trek? You would have, you would have clawed your way out of the rest of your family. You would have, you would have. Hell yeah, I would have. And, and I don't <laughs> get, don't get me wrong. I don't blame Will Wheaton at all. I think he's a great no. actor. I think he, I've lo- liked him since at least um, Stand By Me, yep. you know, and um, I think that he did a really good job with that role. My problem was the writing of the role to begin with, you know, had they changed it instead of giving him such an important navigation role of the, the ship. I, I did have problems, God, as a 14 year old understanding why civilian children of military medical personnel were allowed to fly the spaceship that didn't make any sense to me but again he was never neither the high nor the low point of the series for me like it, it, right trek is a whole other thing and in fact i had wanted to do some i wanted to hold off on galaxy quest until we had done some of the trek stuff first on this podcast because Galaxy Quest is so referential to that stuff. And I wanted to get into it. And I knew that if we did Galaxy Quest first, we'd end up spending a lot of time talking about Trek. Sure. Which isn't actually talking about Galaxy Quest. Sure. But it is actually talking about, but it's not, but it is like they, they're. We'll leave that for another day, but let's try to focus on um, just uh, Galaxy Quest. Cause if we make this about Trek in general, we will be here for five hours. <laughs> oh no. Oh no, talking about Star Trek for five hours. I don't think anyone will be listening to the podcast that long. I don't, this is, look, for anybody who's just listening, this is what we would have done anyway. Like, this is not our first five-hour Star Trek conversation, and it won't be our last. Yes, it is. Don't listen to him. (laughs) I've never done this before. (laughs) Who are you calling a nerd? Nerd? (laughs) 
See, that's what you like about Galaxy Quest. It is. It <laughs> and is. that's what is, I don't like about Galaxy Quest. It is Quest. very clearly. It is very clearly people on the inside of the joke making the joke. It is loving. It is, again, reassuring. It is not, it is not the jocks calling me nerd. It is not like, yeah, yeah. I could not have cast this film any better in my imagination. I never would have picked Tim Allen. But my God, he is so good at that. I never would have thought of Alan Rickman. Perfect. Perfect. Tony Shalhoub. Perfect. Sigourney Weaver. You couldn't have done better. Like I agree. Sigourney Weaver was great. Yeah, all of they were all great at the thing they did. What did you think about Sam Rockwell? This was the first time I saw Sam Rockwell. Loved him. Now, the next thing I saw from Sam Rockwell was Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which I think is an underrated, underappreciated film. Genius. Dark. Wonderful. Um, but so when I saw him in this, right, I didn't have any expectation of him, but he was great. And he did this like kind of intense comic relief really, really well. Um, I had no idea he was going to end up being a serious actor. Because, um, again, this was 99. I think this was the fir- one of the first things, things he had done. Um, but I loved it. I loved him in it. He played, he played the self-aware extra so well. Uh, <laughs> like, that's, that's what he was. He was one of us. If one of us had been at the... Did you guys ever watch the show? It's like, no, he realizes how it works. And that somebody has to die. He's the only one that gets it. And that's beautiful. And uh, what about Tony Shalhoub? The, Tony Shalhoub, Tech Sergeant Chen. Um, the, the part... Okay, so there's a little bit of like... And this is delving into the trivia. Um, there were some elements of the story that were lost to get a PG rating. Tony Shalhoub was supposed to be stoned the entire way through the film. He was a stoner. He smoked a lot of pot. He was just constantly... That, that explains a lot because I was thinking yeah. when I was thinking of my, who I would have ended up casting for this, my thoughts on that character was I would have gone with a stoner. One of those perpetual yeah. stoner. You know, there's a few comedians that always play that stoner character. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Brian Posehn would have been awesome for that, right? Like, but I don't know where he was in 99. Yeah, he's one example. Uh, like the, st- the stoner nerd? Like Brian Jim, Posehn? Jim Brewer. Is Jim another. Brewer! Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's like, and that was without me even knowing what you just told me. Yeah. Um, so that makes a lot more, the character makes a lot more sense. So, yeah, is there something else you wanted to say about that? Uh, there is, so watching it one, just the first time again, just like watch it last night. This is the first time I caught this. There's one throwaway line where Sam Rockwell looks at Tony Schlub and says, are you stoned? It's quiet. It's in the background. Like they hint I, at I the thing. I caught that. Yeah. I, I had missed that the entire rest of the time I had watched this. Here's my deal with the Tony Shalhoub character. I thought, first of all, I thought a great actor, totally underutilized in this film. Yep. Um, also, I think that some of what they were trying to go for just didn't, just fell flat. So I think that he, he of course, represents James Duhan's Scotty character. 
in this, right? Yeah. Um, and the engineer. And so I think the first thing they were going for was having Scotty is actually called Scotty in the Star Trek, you know, Mr. Scott and, you yep. know, the nickname is Scotty and, and all that. And, and they're like using his ethnicity as his identity. Well, in this, Tony Shalhoub's name is Sergeant Chen, which sounds like, Chen. yeah, yeah which sounds Chen. like, like, like an Asian and if, Chinese. And in fact, they say his, he says, my real name isn't even Quan. Like even his acting name, even the character, not the character in the show, but the character in the film, even that was a fake identity he had picked on or he'd taken on to make it in Hollywood, right? So for those who ha- who don't know, um, he's like um, Lebanese or something. And, yeah. and, and so he looks nothing like an East Asian. <laughs> and I think that what they were trying to go for was like to play against, Ty- you, know, you know, instead of Mr. S- Mr. Scott being a, an actual Scott, they were using another ethnicity and casting a totally different person that was not of that ethnicity. Um, and uh, I think that that gets lost. Um, yeah. And then the other thing about him is uh, Mr. Scott in Star Trek is always the one who is the opposite of, um, he's the opposite of Spock. Spock is very calm and collected. You know, Mr. Scott's always like, you know, engines can't take it anymore. You know, yeah. all of that, you know, and, and to play against that, they went with a guy who's like completely laid back, no matter what's going on, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and I think that was lost. I see. And I didn't like, that's just it. Like none of the comedy in this is over the top in your face, right? Everything is an inside joke. Oh, some of it's over the top, but a little, but, but like, let's get out of here before one of those things kills guy, those poor people. Like every single thing is a reference to nerds. It is a callback. It is a, it is a joke. We tell each other that we have no expectation. Most people get right. Um, so true story. I've been waiting to tell this. Um, my, my girlfriend's daughter asked me the other day, cause I, if something comes up, like, how, how big are badgers or whatever? I ask my phone because I'm a normal person of the 20th century, right? Like I just ask my phone, hey, how much do badgers weigh? And it tells me. 21st century, but yes. Oh, Jesus. You're old. Um, but so, you know, you ask it the question, it shows you the answer on the screen and then it reads it to you. But I've already read it by that time. By the time it starts speaking, I've... Um, and she was amazed. She She asked... Like, how do you, how do you read? How do you say that at the same time that says, and I got to use the line. I have one job on this stupid, on this ship. It is stupid, but I'm going to do it. I was so proud that I got to make a galaxy quest reference of my own. I got to make a Sigourney Weaver reference. I was very happy. Which is a Michelle Nichols reference, but yeah. Yeah. I feel, and especially in 99, very little of the humor in this makes sense to most people this is before the and again like i can't show it to you now without the intervening 21 years having like changed your opinion but this was a joke we told to each other this is how we would have harassed each other this is how we made fun of the thing we loved with each other and i i appreciate that but but back to the story back to the story so it is clearly these actors at a convention, signing autographs, whatever. 
And the idea is that a race of aliens have seen the television show and they have recreated this and they have come to ask these actors for help believing the show they have seen to have been actual historical reference. So they're having their own interstellar problem. They come to Earth, they grab the actors and have them lead their ship for them. The actors are sick of each other. The actors have been doing this for years. They love each other. They're a family. Like they did this thing back in the 80s and here they are at around the year 2000, still doing the same thing, but in a much reduced form of signing, you know, stuff at conventions as opposed to making more content. And the Kirk character has a blowout with one of the fans, storms off, goes home, gets drunk. And if you look, like that next scene, importantly, like they show him in his beautiful cliffside glass house, getting drunk and watching the show. And then they show Sigourney Weaver in her kind of idealized, like modern dollhouse with its the the frilly lampshades and the, the silk robes and whatever. And then they show Alan Rickman talking to her on the telephone and he's got like newspapers piled up on top of his TV and whatnot. They never show him without the Dr. Lazarus head dress. Even when he's, he's at home, even when he's getting out of the shower, they never show it not on. Even after he is beaten up by aliens, they show it broken and they show his hair sticking through in weird kind of way but he's never shown without it on. And why do you think that is? I think, I mean, just my two cents. I think it's because again, they're, they're, they're muddying the water between the character and the character's character. And that makes sense. I thought the reason they did it was because he was a method actor. Yeah. But think about the other character. Think about, um, Tawny Madison, uh, the, and it's weird. Cause even now I don't know which one of the three, do I say Sigourney Weaver? Do I say Tawny Madison? That's her character. And then I, I don't even remember. Gwen her, DeMarco. Gwen DeMarco. Yeah. Like, which of the three do I talk about? So forgive me if I kind of use some interchange. But if you think about, like, when they end up on the alien ship, she realizes she is slipping into the role. She hates it. But she acknowledges it within moments, right? Like, that's the first thing. The the computer starts screaming about the engine problem and, you know, the structural failure, and she just starts repeating it. And she's, she, yeah, yeah, she knows that's what what's happening. With with Alan Rickman, his the character was more spiteful. Like, they couldn't... I, I think he kept the headdress on because they couldn't make him act... That way, they couldn't make him act like the character, but they did that as a nod to all of the other people having to carry out their roles. He really had no role. He wasn't a scientist. He didn't didn't know how to use the equipment. So they made it a physical thing of him never removing. That's my two cents. I'm just guessing. If anybody out there actually worked on Galaxy Quest, wants to hang out, talk to me, get dinner, I would love that. I will talk to you for hours about your amazing work. Let me get this out there. I like this film. I don't dislike it or hate it or anything like that. I was very reluctant to watch it to begin with, and I still don't think it's nearly as great as a lot of other people do. But there are some nitpicks I do have, and one of them is as soon as Tim Allen bumps into uh, Justin Long, who plays a fan, 
and they switch communicators. I knew at that moment, this is a setup in the third act. Justin Long's going to have to save them, talk to him via this communicator. Like I just knew that was going to happen. And that is supposed to be like, I think one of the big plot reveals. And I was just like, okay, did not see that coming an hour ago, you know? <laughs> right. But it, And I don't think that's, if I could point out, this is the first time I saw Justin Long as well. Loved him in this. Like, <laughs> he was awesome for, he was a kid at this point. Well, right? you know, and this is the character I had the most trouble with because it was like, you know, oh, he lives in his mom's basement. And then like when Tim Allen tells him it's all real, of course, he's a Star Trek fan. So therefore he's not in touch with reality. And he says, I knew it all along, you know? <laughs> and, I found it. I've got, it was endearing though. Like it was, you just love him, right? Like he, he, he wasn't a portrayal of a real Star Trek fan. He was the fan you wanted to be. Like if you just let yourself like absolutely dive in, you could do worse than Justin Long. That's all I'm saying. He was great in this. I Mom, love that. I'll take out kid. the garbage later. <laughs> <laughs> this is right. This is a bad time, mother. And then he's running outside with fireworks to help gather. Like it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <sighs> okay. Um, I I'll say that I'm glad they did it as a one shot and not a series. Me too. You know. I think they were talking. They were talking about launching a series a few years ago and Alan Rickman's death put an end to that. And I'm a little relieved, honestly. Like I, I think this is a perfectly contained work and I would hate to see it. Look, you and I also lived through the Highlander two era. Of, like, Oh my God. Like there does come a point where you just, you just sign it and stop. I do want to point out, this was a great use of theatrical irony where they have made clear to the audience, like, this is all real. Well, long before um, Tim Allen realizes that. Like, this is like pat Greek irony. Like, classic theater irony. I like this theme about adult regret. I don't want to say ungrateful, but like that very adult buyer's remorse in all of the characters that once they get even more than they could have asked for, they are suddenly not at all excited. I think Tim Allen pretty much stole the show here. He did such a good job. He God, if you need a cocky asshole, like he was amazing. You could not have picked a more perfect cocky asshole than Tim Allen. He was so good at that. Yeah. But he loved the fans, you know. For a while, I lived in a town over from where William Shatner lived. And so it was not unusual to run into him in, you know, very normal situations. And he was not quite as outgoing as Tim Allen is towards fans that would approach him outside of that context. I'm glad that they did a full-on special effects with it instead of yeah. trying to recreate 60s TV special effects and make it look hokey, you know? That would have been the easy way out, but they're, I mean, their villains look like, you know, Fifth Element villains, way more, yeah. like, way more high-tech than anything that was on Star Trek. At, and, 
they built the entire bridge on a gimbal so that they could shake it for real, you know, knock the actors around while they're filming the explosion scenes. Like they, they went all out like, yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, I, I like that they did all that instead of trying to do the obvious thing, which would have been, you know, one, save money and two be ha ha, you know, we're going to yeah. have it a guy in a gorilla suit or in a, you know, lizard man yeah. have to fight, um, you know, Tim Allen's going to have to fight like a guy in a lizard man costume, you know, uh, the pig lizard. <laughs> the pig lizard was amusing. The rock monster was, was definitely cutting edge CGI for its time. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. But it, this was also the end of the era of puppetry, which is kind of a sad, like, no matter how good CGI gets. And that's not true. There will come a point where I would no longer be able to differentiate it from puppetry. But it it has, even with its limitations, the puppetry in this and the costuming in this had soul to it that I loved. Yeah. If anybody is still unconvinced that this is if not the best film, then one of the best films ever made. Feel free to reach out to Eric and form a support group with him. Cause, cause you're wrong. <laughs> no, to, to, to be clear, I think it's great. It's just, you know, it, it came at a really bad time. I love that. We both got a lot of feeling wrapped up into a movie like galaxy quest, right? Like whatever the feelings are, like we don't get to discuss this objectively we're built like we're we're invested in it and i love that yeah because we're cool <laughs> um i don't know if that's true if people think so they can let us know at gc8 podcast gc number eight podcast at gmail.com and uh of course like subscribe and definitely give us a five-star rating on in the itunes store because it'll help other people find out about the show. We're not asking you for money. We're not asking you for anything, at least not yet. <laughs> but we are, we are asking you let other people know about the show if you like it. Okay, so until next time, this is Eric. This is Nat. Signing off. Bye, guys. Bye. That was a hell of a thing.